Let's Have a Podcast. I'm Nick. I'm Elise. And I'm Alex. And the good news, guys, our long national nightmare is finally over. We can finally stop pretending to find Garrison Keillor charming. Oh. Hooray. Wait, who is this person? Uh. Garrison Keillor. This is the host of Good Grief. You really, like, even things that, like, you, I would think you would know. <laughs> So Garrison Keillor was the longtime host of A Prairie Home Companion, which was oh, okay. the, you know, the crux of the NPR Saturday Night lineup. I mean, I've, I've listened to it when I was a wee lad, yeah. but not at uh, any time recently and never knowing the names of the people on it. So recently, Garrison Keillor, Garrison Keillor had stepped down as host from Prairie Home Companion, but was still working for Minnesota Public News. I want to say it was Minnesota. It was somewhere in the yeah, Middle West. Mi- Minnesota, Nobody cares. Minnesota Public Radio, um, yeah. So, I mean, people in Minnesota care. Yeah. Eh, but who cares about the people in Minnesota, I, really? I, I mean, I, unless we have fans hey, in Minnesota. Mis, mis, mystery Science Theater in is which from case, Minnesota. Go Science, Minnesota. Mystery Science Theater is from Minnesota. Lynn Carr is from Minnesota. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, yeah. All right. So there, there are things and people that we care about in Minnesota. But the moral of the story is uh, he got, Garrison Keillor got fired from his public radio job. Uh, for sexual harassment. Yep. Can you imagine? Like, that sucks. Like, a lot of things really fucking suck, but somehow it just adds insult what, to being injury. sexually harassed? To be sexually yeah. harassed by Garrison <laughs> Keillor. Yeah. Like, I, you know, am an adult woman, so therefore I have also been sexually harassed in this fucking country. Yeah. And, you know, I just... Somehow, if it was Garrison Keillor, I would just be like, really? You... I, you, his, you thought this was gonna go somewhere? Like you thought you could ask me out and like repeatedly, and you think I would say, "Yet yeah, you are a muppet. You are a muppet that hosts truly one of my favorite public radio shows." But I don't know. God, what? Who is next? Kai Ristall? Kai Ristall. I think I think his time is we're, coming. We're about to find out that like NPR was like just one big sex ring. <laughs> Like, like Di- Terry- Diane Reem was like at the top. Terry Gross is the madam. <laughs> I I don't even know anymore. <laughs> oh my god. Um, but yeah, so yeah, and Robert the- Siegel is like the professional sub. I mean, this is really it. It, it explains a lot to me about Garrison Keillor, like. His terrible voice was just a result of like constantly being in a state of arousal. Oh god. <laughs> You know, in order, you know, no, not that this is true, because sexual harassment is, is a crime about power, such as all sex-based crimes are really about power. They're not about sex. But at yeah. the same time, it's like Garrison Keillor can ex- can experience arousal. <laughs> like, I think that's kind of like the big they, wow. They, she was talking know. about buttermilk biscuits. You know? <laughs> it just, it just set them off I'd buttermilk her biscuit. <laughs> like, that was probably the line he used. No, no. I, we, I need Sorry, to talk about like this. Because I, I, I told this to Elise the other day, because his... <laughs> His ap- non-apology is like the worst thing in the world. And Alex. Oh, like, and he defended that goddamn asshole Matt no, Lauer. Yeah. Who oh, wait, I he did. Been, yes. Oh my who god. I have been. I like. I have known for years, years that Matt Lauer was terrible. He pushed Ann Curry out. Like anytime his co-host was like nearing forty, it was like time to get a new lady. Like he just anyway. Matt Lauer is disgusting. Also, did you hear about Matt Lauer? Well, he's looking up Garrison Keillor's non-apology. Yeah, I'm looking up his non-apology. Um, Alex, did you hear about Matt Lauer's sex dungeon office? Who? The guy oh, who hosts the it. Daily Alex. The Today Show. <laughs> I don't know these people. I'm sorry. So Matt Lauer f- hosts the Today Show, which was a very popular 
Sounds like a very popular morning show. But okay. Because so I'm up in the morning and watch TV. Fair. <laughs> so anyway, Matt Lauer, um, goddamn Matt Lauer, apparently had a like sex dungeon office. So he had them install a button. Like, you know he couldn't do this on his own. So, like, somebody had to, one, approve this, and two, install it. And at no point, everybody was like, maybe you shouldn't have that, Matt. So on the underside of his desk, he had a button that would close and lock the door behind somebody. So he would invite women up to his office, sit at his desk. They would come in. He'd press the button under his desk and it would close and lock the door behind them i that sounds terrifying the only yeah. thing i'm thinking you said he had a button under his desk the only thing i was thinking is if he pushes the button it's, and like a a, a a what do you call it a um bookshelf kind of recedes and then you step no, into this like 16th century no, dungeon he's mr burns <laughs> Like, like, he's, like, the opposite Mr. Burns. Like, Mr. Burns always has the button under the desk that, like, yeah. drops the person down the shaft or releases the hounds. No, it locks the door behind you so you can't escape. Like, it's a that is fucking... pretty fucking he's terrifying. He's a fucking Bond villain. Like, only super villains have this. Well, like, who the fuck approved? One, approved, and two, installed. Like, if you... Inst I'm sorry. If you installed Matt Lauer's sex dungeon button... You need to go to jail, like like you are like you assisted like, not only, not sexual yeah. harassment like, and potential assault. Like how we had to get Capone on tax evasion, mm -hmm. we could get these people on something else than assisting a sex crime. Yeah, yeah. Uh, such as you know causing a fire hazard. Okay. Yeah. But you know, in any case, it's all kinds of messed up to hear all this kind of stuff coming. All right. So I, I uh, reading reading series time. Um, I've pulled up. Uh, Garrison Keillor's email to the uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune. Uh, here, let me get uncomfortably close to the microphone so that I can do my appropriate uh, Garrison Keillor voice. He's creepy voice. I'm doing fine. Getting fired is a real distinction in broadcasting, and I've waited 50 years for the honor. Polite laughter from the crowd. All my heroes got fired. I only wish it would have been for something more heroic. I put my hand on a woman's bare back. I meant to pat her back after she told me about her unhappiness and her shirt was open and my hand went up at about six inches. How do you accidentally, you know, like you do, you accidentally put your hand inside a woman's shirt instead of just tapping her on the back. It happens all the time. Um, with, with their bare back midriffs, women. Uh, she recoiled. I apologized. I sent her an email of apology later and she replied that it, she was, that she had forgiven me and not to think about it. We were friends. We continued to be friendly right up until her lawyer called. Anyone who ever was around my show can tell you that I was at least physically, the least physically affection, I think that's supposed to be affectionate, person in the building. Actors hug. Musicians hug. People were embracing every Saturday night, left and right. And I stood off in the corner like a stone statue, eating my... Powder milk biscuits all by myself. What? He did not say powder milk. He did not say powder milk biscuits. That was that was my own embellishment. <laughs> if I had a dollar for every woman who asked to take a selfie with me and who slipped my, an arm around me and let it drift down below the belt line, I'd have at least a hundred dollars. Yes, Garrison Keillor, <laughs> sex symbol. So this is so wait, poetic wait, is irony. He, is he 
accusing other people of sexually yeah, harassing he, yes, him. Yes, he's saying he's saying I never was complaining when women would like touch my ass, when beautiful women would take a picture with me and they were like touch my ass God. because I look like a gremlin and this is probably the most physical affection I've felt in years. Uh, See, I have no idea what this so, person looks so, like. I don't know who this person okay, is. Give me a second. So this is poetic irony in the hot. Uh, of a high order. Oh my god! But I'm just fine. I had a good long run, and I'm grateful for it, and for everything else. And that's the news from Lake Wobegon. He doesn't say that. I, I've added that because man, I, I should have done this as the uh, the Sam Spade ripoff character that he does, where he complains about how young people uh, don't say thank you, instead they say you're uh, no problem. I should have done that because it's instead. no problem though. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, this is what he looks like. Oh goodness! Okay. Yeah, this is good for the podcast. I feel like we need to put it in the show notes, like how how weird. Just just we, Google it. We could like, have yeah, his Google face it. be the picture oh instead of the cat. I know. Right? <laughs> oh my god, no! I don't want to do that. I don't want. I don't want the full force of Minnesota coming down upon me. Oh, so, so speaking of the Midwest and men and sexual harassment oh, and, and Minnesota, right? Was Minnesota? Oh no, too. it was Michigan. Oh, Michigan. It was Michigan. But uh, once again, in the Middle West. Thanks, Midwest. Um, the land of Middle West. So, so as these series of revelations have are, are are coming forth about about all the crazy, powerful men in our lives, um, a, there's an all female team running for governor, uh, attorney general, and secretary of state of Michigan, um, and they put out the the candidate for attorney general put out a political ad today. Do you know their names? Um, I don't. Nick, will you will you look it up? Uh, yeah, I'm on. Will it. you look it up? Okay, because we we need to play this on the podcast. I, I don't think but, that will transfer very well, but yeah, we we can at least mention it. So anyway, so she she had a political her political ad dropped today, and I think it was supposed to be kind of tongue in cheek, but it was really funny. And what it was talking about was, you know, people people say people ask if. Uh, you know, we can have an, we can afford an all female team to lead Michigan. And I want to ask, how can we afford not to? Who do you trust to not show their penis in a professional setting? The candidate without a penis? I think so. Okay, so her name is uh, Dana Nessel, Nessel, I believe. And she doesn't have a penis, but she has cojones. She does. And a rock and blue pantsuit. Looks like in this ad, maybe not pantsuit. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that's that's the important news. She said penis twice in a political she ad. Said, it was amazing. Yeah, it was said quite a few times. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that's that's the big I, news. I love that's, her now. That's the big news in in nerd. Wait, no, in politic nerd. <laughs> I don't Politicking know. nerds. Politicking it's, nerds. It's mostly that I've just distrusted uh, Garrison Keillor for years now, and I finally <laughs> have a reason to like pull it out, uh, so oh, to speak. Oh, bad choice yeah, of words. I, I know. <laughs> Excuse me while I whip this out. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, we this have is why we need more women in podcasting. <laughs> Go listen to season of the bitch. Yeah, season yeah. of the bitch. Uh, my favorite murder. Also. Better podcast than ours. Call but your girlfriend. Call your girlfriend's pretty good. Um, anyway, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what's been going on in the world. Uh, that and have, FCC. What have we been up to other than other than you know terrified of like every 
man walking around the street is about oh, to whip oh, out oh I know what we've been doing. We've been calling our senators and telling them not oh. to repeal oh, net neutrality. Yeah. Yes, I have, I have definitely been doing that. Actually, um, our, my representative um, sent out an email today, basically, and he's a Republican, so it was very much like, oh, well, the internet was just fine beforehand, but everyone's raising a stink about it, but I want to know what you guys think. And so I, like, I definitely was like, no, we need to keep net neutrality. Stop this stupid bullshit. Please and thank this, you. This very happens much. like every three years, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it's not. And here's the thing. Uh, and every every three years we call them, and every three years they say, "Oh, I guess not." Well, I mean, it's not even every three years because this the current regulations have only been in place since 2015, mm-hmm. um, where the uh, the internet is protected under Title Two of um, the FCC's code or whatever. Which basically, it doesn't quite, it makes it essentially a um, a um, utility, more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that gives the FCC more ability to, like, say what ISPs can and cannot do. And before that was in place, technically net neutrality wasn't really a thing. But basically what that would mean would be that ISPs would test something. Consumers would complain, it would go to the FCC, and the FCC would be like, no, you can't prevent users on your ISP from using FaceTime because it competes with the app that you've created that you would rather them use. Like, you can't do it like that. And so it would be like on a case-by-case basis, essentially. And then in 2015, the Obama administration, if I'm following this correctly, I'm not an expert, but I've been reading up on this the last few days. The Obama administration in 2015 was basically just like, no, you actually can't do any of this stuff. Like, ISPs have to treat everything on the internet equally. Like, all data gets an equal treatment on the internet and basically codified it so that the the internet was classified under this area of the FCC, which gave the FCC the ability to, to give ISPs that regulation. So the way it's being sold to the public and the arguments that Ajit Pai and, and, you know, all of his little cronies have been making is that because, well, it worked fine before 2015, but before 2015, it was neither, it was not made explicit or implicit. Now, by taking those regulations away, you're basically saying that anything that an ISP wants to do is fine. Which means that things like, oh, yeah, you want to use FaceTime? Sorry, we have this other competing app, so you can't actually use FaceTime. You have to use our competing product. Or we're also a cable provider, so we're going to throttle down the speeds for Netflix and Hulu so that you're more likely to go back to buying our overpriced cable packages. Like that kind of stuff. So that's that's the problem. That's, that's the big issue this yeah. time around. But it's still and, not and quite what a- like a public utility. Like you can't. Like, when you lay down, like, water lines and power lines, you don't also have to then lay down, like, Fios you, lines. You right? should. Like, that's... Uh, like, I, like, like, my understanding was, like, it's not I, yeah. quite a yeah, public yeah. utility. Yeah, but it's, it's kind of regulated in a similar way yeah. is the way I mean, that I it, understood that. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the usefulness of the infrastructure is such where it might as well be. You, you might as well, yeah. you know... Well, it I is mean, in, in most European yeah, countries. Yeah, I was going to say, in Europe, that's the way that that works. And, yeah. and their internet bills are much lower as a result, and their internet... Is better for the most part, like for the most in part. Western except, Europe, except in Europe. portugal but yeah. anyway yeah. Um, well in western europe and places well, portugal, where they portugal adopted... portugal went to yeah yeah got rid of they, they got rid of net neutrality in portugal and, and yeah. now their sucks. internet sucks <laughs> wow but Go figure what i one of the things i was reading now you guys will have to verify this for me was that the fcc basically made a response 
to mm-hmm. all of the hullabaloo, and their response yeah. was, we're not going to listen to anything unless there is a distinct legal issue someone can find. Hmm. So, hmm. you know, I have the not, entire, to me. I the entire United States can, can you know, holler all they want, but unless the lawyers find something, I, I don't know. That's what I saw, and, and I'll find the link for that later and, okay. and show that to you. But, uh, yeah, it's... Does anyone know when the timeline? Like, if are they say, oh, we're gonna make a decision on this by uh, December fourteenth. December fourteenth is 14th. the day that's supposed to be voted on. All right. Well, December fourteenth. Uh, hopefully, we'll still be able to come live to you and not have to pay our uh, Cox overlords yeah. uh, an extra fifteen dollars a month. If, if there's anything that I will say is that of the ISPs, at least the ones that I'm aware of. The one that I currently use is probably the least evil. Comcast is probably the worst one. Uh, yeah, Comcast is really bad. Everybody I know, yeah. everybody I know that has Comcast has complained yeah. to shit about. Verizon it. is really bad. Um, Time Warner, I'm sure, is terrible, but I don't know any. Like, I don't think Time Warner's anywhere around here. See, that's another problem is that like they, they have divided these, like, the country up yeah into these regions. stupid like regional monopolies, and like that's one of the things that that Ajit Pai and his group were kind of like trying to get uh, as like their argument is like, oh well, the reason why this happens is because we have net neutrality, and like other startup ISPs can't like compete in the marketplace, and it's like. But that was no. it was like this before. Well, then nationalize the internet. Yeah. No, Make it we so should totally not nationalize the internet. I've been saying that for years. Nationalize so, the internet. We're socialist the nerds, in case you guys haven't picked yeah. up on well, this. Well, I think that's pretty obvious. But, but yeah. nationalize the internet, the water, the electricity, yeah. all the basic utilities. Yeah, and Healthcare. this won't be a problem. Healthcare. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and especially like, hey, ladies and gentlemen of the world, if you are currently listening to this, guess what? You have already paid for the fiber optic infrastructure that is in place. Your your tax dollars pay for the infrastructure that ISPs leech off of. And then you pay – I personally pay close to $80 a month for my ISP just to get – like not even – it's not the, quite the bare bones, but it's like – if you want to stream anything or like download any video games or play anything over the web, like you need at least what I pay for. So it sucks. It's terrible. It's, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. the worst of all possible scenarios. Um, Oh, like it can get worse. Oh yeah. Anti-Dr. Pangloss. That's me. <laughs> um, let's, uh, let's talk about something lighter. Cause th- uh. we've been talking now for 20 minutes about like the darkest, most terrible <laughs> things in the world. Uh, we live in the darkest timeline. We do live in the darkest timeline, but we can talk about things like there are happy things that still happen. Uh, you already have a tree up. We please. already have a tree up. Oh, we, we actually, it's it, not even December yet. No. As recording. Uh, but I, I mean, we waited our downstairs neighbors put theirs up like a week after Halloween. Yes. And I've been fighting against this one over here to uh, to keep. Christmas should be two months. No, no, one month month Christmas. One month is more than enough. No, not enough. Um, See, I'm I'm a little bit more. I'm (laughs) I'm reform. uh, So I believe that it's the day after Thanksgiving is is when it should start. (laughs) Elise is a bit more more orthodox. Uh, (laughs) And I'm not even in the ballpark. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You guys, I like. 
like well, I've we, been listening we, to uh, that's all that's on the radio yeah, now. No, like on Thanksgiving, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. on the yes. radio. It was too much. No, yes. no, that's too much. I I was thinking we should do a holiday, not this episode, but the next episode that we record should be a holiday episode. Well, we did a holiday episode already. Yeah, I mean, Halloween we, plus one. Well, oh no, then we've done two. <laughs> okay, Wait. we could also do. Oh a, yeah, Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah holiday special. <laughs> we can also do a Christmas special is all I'm saying. I mean, it's not as important. Nah, no. It's Halloween. Oh. <laughs> I mean, will will a recording session actually fall on on uh, Christmas? It'll fall near Christmas. Like, now until the end of December is basically near Christmas. Yeah, that's not true. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, we're, like, less Wait, than a month away from what Christmas. About, what about, what about uh, King's Day? Or uh, what is it? The... Something. January 6th, whatever that one is. Uh, that's the Epiphany. Orthodox epiphany, Christmas? Thank you. No, it's the Epiphany. Oh, oh when is Orthodox Christmas? I thought that well, was like January they 6th. Also ce- well, they, they celebrate Christmas on the Epiphany. Okay. Because that was the but day that the wise there. men came and gave. Yeah, that's when the, that's At when least Jesus, was raised Catholic. Uh, Jesus <laughs> didn't actually get his presents until December 6th. January 6th. He January got them 6th. 12 days January after 6th. Christmas. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was a year, almost a yeah. year after. Almost a year after. <laughs> oh I mean, it's a long walk <coughs> from wherever the wise men came from. Babylon. To, yeah. It's a long walk. There's a lot of desert there, yeah. you know. Uh, Even well. on camels, you know, probably took a while. So, so a lot of Orthodox don't celebrate, like, the gift-giving part of Christmas until Epiphany. And then, like, Christmas Day is more so reserved for, like, contemplation and prayer. Gotcha. Meanwhile, Hanukkah. Yes. Hanukkah is sometime this month. I don't even know. It's, <laughs> it's coming up. Uh, it'll it'll, what, it'll what, last for a few days. One of my relatives will post something on Facebook. Is like, oh, it's it's Hanukkah tonight. I guess I'll go light the candles. <laughs> it's it, Hanukkah is really not that big a thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's been made a bigger thing by its proximity to to Christmas, which is an all-consuming monster. Yes. <laughs> Which is why I will hold out in the staunchly uh, Scroogean uh, form that I am. No, but see. <laughs> and not celebrate Christmas no, Scrooge, even secularly. Scrooge is, is definitely like in the in the puritanical Protestant form of it. Not not necessarily like. He's, a, he's in the uh, the uh, bourgeois form of it. Yeah. I don't know. I always like he's he's definitely in the, you know, Protestant that. You know, doesn't even really go to church, but like vaguely believes in something, but mostly just believes in like the sweat of one's brow <laughs> and like, re- like, re- like abstaining from any sort of fun whatsoever. He's that <laughs> branch of Protestantism. Are those Lutherans? No, those aren't Lutherans. But like bringing it back to Prairie Home Companion, <laughs> who would you rather be molested by, Scrooge <laughs> or uh, Garrison Killer? Is this or post? Post-Christmas Carol Scrooge or pre-Christmas Carol Scrooge? Well, why would post-Christmas Carol Scrooge molest anyone? He was carrying... He was well, very close Molesting to Tiny, Tiny Tim, Tim yeah. Uh, that's fair enough. Oh, that got what, dark. What about, I'm what sorry <laughs> about that. We'll, we'll, throw, timeline. we'll throw in one wild card, Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> Scrooge McDuck. Oh, Scrooge oh, McDuck. Scrooge McDuck, hands down. He's, he's David Tennant now, obviously, <laughs> yes. Scrooge McDuck. It wouldn't even be molestation <laughs> at that point. Like, it would be active and enthusiastic consent. With an animated duck? Yes. <laughs> voiced, yes. voiced by and David, David Tennant. Tennant. Oh, God. Who's okay. super rich. I mean, come on. Why would you not? 
Because it's a duck. <laughs> I, I'm still failing to see your point. I'm not a furry. Yeah, when he's a just Scrooge McDuck. You know, kind of sexy. Because I know what duck genitalia looks like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> this guy. No, no, no. I'm putting an end to this tangent. Oh, <laughs> Moving on. Oh, um, God. Uh, so, we, we, what have uh, you guys been up to? We saw uh, Thor Ragnarok. We did see Thor Ragnarok uh, last yes. week. The Thor, yeah. Thor movie. How Thor. was that? It was it was good. It was serviceable. Yeah. I mean, <gasps> For a brief shining second, the there were <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch and Tom but, Hiddleston were on the same screen at the same time, and there were so many cheekbones, and that was the best three seconds of the movie. Yep. Uh, it was also like the three seconds of the movie that we saw last year in another movie, which was a little bit weird. Like, I know that they've been like, they're doing the thing like Marvel's that Marvel's always done where it's like, oh, here's a thing to hint at what the next movie is going to be like, oh no, here's this guy out in the middle of the New Mexico desert and there's Mjolnir like, oh no, like the next one's going to be Thor. But then like this one was just with, with Dr. Strange last year. If you saw that, but you haven't seen Thor Ragnarok yet, that scene, the the, the end credit scene for Thor for um for uh Doctor Strange was literally just like two minutes out of Thor Ragnarok, like just lifted straight out of that movie. They showed the exact same scene yeah. in the middle of Thor Ragnarok. It was kind of weird. Alrighty then. Uh, so what what is this movie all about then? Because I really you know you can spoil me. I'm really not going to watch it. And this. I probably everyone else that wants to see it has seen it already. Yeah. But if you haven't, um, skip ahead a few minutes. Uh, we're going to just talk very briefly about it. Um, so basically, the premise of the movie is that, I mean, without going too much into detail about everything that set it up, uh, and the last time we saw our heroes on screen was Avengers Age of Ultron, which was not a very good movie, uh, but it was fine. And at the end of that... Thor was like, oh, shit, bad things are happening back home in Asgard. I've got to go take care of this. Um, and so he went off into space to find uh, the Infinity Stones, which have been MacGuffins of, like, nine-tenths of the Marvel movies up to this point, if not more. Um, and while searching for them, he comes across, uh, he realizes that Ragnarok is about to start happening. And so he tries to put a stop to it. He tries to, like prevent Ragnarok from happening. So he goes back to Asgard to find that Loki has taken over um, in the guise of Odin. So like mm-hmm. Loki is disguised as Odin and like Asgard is like letting down its defenses. Uh, Heimdall, for instance, the, the gatekeeper of the, uh, of the rainbow bridge, Bifrost is nowhere to be seen. There's just this jobber other guy who's trying to like, guard the gates, but he's basically just using it as a way to impress women. Um, so basically Loki had taken Odin, left him on earth in a old folks home and basically just hoped that no one would notice. Um, (laughs) and his time away from Asgard has like left Odin weak. And so Odin is dying. Uh, is this an old folks home in America? Yeah. Yeah. It's in New York city. Why do they never go to Norway? They do go to Norway. Okay. Like that's the very next scene. So they, they like, he left him in New York city in an old folks home and it's destroyed when they get there. Like, like Thor basically grabs Loki by the scruff of the neck. He's like, you're going to take me to where you put Odin so we can fix this. Cause otherwise Ragnarok is going to happen. Um, and 
So Loki takes him there. The place has been completely demolished. And he's like, he was here when I left. I don't know what happened. <laughs> uh, so it's somewhere in there that all the cheekbones happen um, where we see Benedict Cumberbatch on screen for like two minutes. He doesn't really add a whole lot to it, but he does. Uh, well, he does say, um, oh, yeah, I can take you to where Odin is. And if I show you, uh, let me try my do my Benedict Cumberbatch uh, as an American voice. Uh, well, if I take you to where your father is, will you promise to leave this plane of existence, partner? Um, and <laughs> you, you guys can't see this, but Nick's <laughs> lips were moving all over his face. I mean, yeah, it's if if you have seen either Doctor Strange or this movie, you know that of all the things that Benedict Cumberbatch can do, an American Which is accent. many things, <laughs> I mean, to be fair. Uh, um, one thing he cannot do is speak convincingly in, Amer- in an American accent, which happens a lot with, with British actors, but he is probably the least convincing that I've ever heard in my life. Um, so anyway... So he takes him to where Odin is, and Odin's in Norway. And he's like, hey, this is home. You guys should remember this place. Also, I'm dying. Watch out for your older sister. Bye. And Anthony Hopkins takes his paycheck and leaves the movie. Um, and the franchise. <laughs> uh, probably. Actually, no, definitely, yes. He's, he's almost assuredly dead. Um, and so then Kate Blanchett... Uh, shows up in fetish gear uh, and is like, oh, yeah, didn't Odin tell you? I'm your older sister. I'm Hela, goddess of death. Uh, I guess that now that dad's dead, that means I get to rule Asgard. And you guys aren't needed anymore, so she kicks them both out of Asgard. Which is surprisingly progressive of Asgard, that it doesn't have to be the firstborn son. It just has to be the firstborn. So way to go, Asgard. Well... Yeah, I mean, we could go into Norwegian. We could go yeah. into like Norse gender politics for a while, uh, <laughs> but let's continue with the movie. <laughs> um, so that happens. Uh, they kick. They, they get kicked out of Ragnarok, or they get kicked out of uh, Asgard. Um, well, they get kicked off the Rainbow Bridge. Is what happens. As they're chasing after her, she's she's going to Asgard via the Rainbow Bridge, and she like kicks them both out of there. And they both wind up on the same planet, ruled by uh, Jeff Goldblum, playing Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> um, and life uh, finds a way. Life finds such ways, so many ways. <laughs> um, and he's what? What is Jeff Goldblum? Uh, yeah, Jeff Goldblum pretending to be in this uh, one? He is Jeff Goldblum, as I mentioned. Uh, in this case, it is Jeff Goldblum. If Jeff Goldblum had like gladiator slaves. And ruled a junk planet. Oh, so he's not pretending to be anyone. Yeah, no, from... no, no. I said he's uh. playing Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> I mean, the character has a name that's not Jeff Goldblum, but, but you can't it's remember it. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if it was supposed to be someone from Norse mythology as well. No, oh, no, no. no. Okay. He's he is someone from the Marvel like like weird cosmos stuff, but okay. I can't remember what his name is. He's um, I think if I'm remembering correctly, he's related to. Uh, the collector who was played by Antonio Banderas, not Antonio Banderas. Um, oh God, I can't remember what the actor's name is now. But the collector from um, Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah, who's yeah, in yeah. like one scene. That guy. Um, and so uh, they get kicked off the Rainbow Bridge. They both wind up on the same planet, but since they get kicked off at different times, and like time is weird, Loki gets there like weeks before and kind of works his way into Jeff Goldblum's inner circle. Thor gets captured by someone. Um, oh, I forgot to mention, Mjolnir gets broken. Like, Hela just, like, crushes it in her hand. Mm. So he's without his hammer. Um, 
he winds up on the alien planet um, and is forced to fight in the gladiatorial ring. And he's like, well, whoever defeats my champion uh, gets to go home uh, or, get, you know, can get whatever they want, basically. And he's like, well, fine. I'm the god of thunder. I'll fight your champion. I'll beat him easily. Hey, guess what? The champion's the Hulk, who was also last seen in Avengers Age of Ultron, basically leaving forever mm. um, in, a, in, a, in a ship. Um, and it crashes apparently at some point on there. So Bruce Banner has been, has been the Hulk for like the last two years. And so the Hulk has just kind of taken over. And so Thor is trying desperately to get Bruce Banner to come back out because he's trapped on an alien world and he doesn't know science and he doesn't know how to fix broken spaceships, but he figures Bruce Banner knows science. Maybe he can figure this out and we can get away off this rock. Um, and then it turns out that the person who actually captured Thor was a fallen Valkyrie who goes and helps uh, him. And so they assemble a team of Thor, Loki, this Valkyrie, and the Hulk. And they go to fight Hela and Asgard. Um, and I don't want to give away all of the ending, but they win, kind of, but it's a Pyrrhic victory. And, like, it ends with them, like, with now Thor in charge of Asgard. Does he sing If I Had a Hammer? Uh, he doesn't, but they play <laughs> Led Zeppelin's uh, The Immigrant Song and oh, several God. awesome battle scenes, Nice, which is pretty great. Um, also, on the subject of music, the music is done, I was like, throughout the entire movie, I'm like, wow, this music doesn't suck like the music for the rest of the Marvel movies, which just sound Wait, like... Wait, the rest of the Marvel movies have music? They do. With, I, with well, the exception of I Guardians mean, of the Galaxy. Technically speaking, well, okay... The orchestral music. Yeah. Technically speaking, yes, they have an orchestral score. But they it's, make it sound so you can't hear it. It is the most bland, like, run-of-the-mill orchestral score. It sounds like they're just warming up. Yeah, that's... that's. I, like, I watched a video... I don't know where it was, yeah. but I watched a video. Someone was talking about that and how, like, it, that's the thing in yeah. movies now is that the music is, is supposed to not be heard, which makes everything sound yeah. bland and uninteresting. I mean, I can kind of sort of hum a few bars of, like, the Avengers theme because there have now been two of those movies and the the trailer for uh, Infinity War dropped the other day and they played a little bit. I'm like, oh yeah, that is the theme for the Avengers movies. What is the theme for the it's Avengers It's like, da-da-da-da, something like that. Like, it's horns and like there are probably <laughs> okay. some strings in there. Um, it's like, but I'm, what I'm saying is it's like, essentially if an orchestra had the equivalent of like a demo button like that's what the music in the uh, that's what the music in the Marvel movie sounds like I'm like this move this music actually sounds really good oh my god like I heard people talk about how it was so much better than all the other Marvel movies again with the exception of Guardians of the Galaxy because it was just like like a jukebox soundtrack like you just take other music from other things and you pay the royalties yeah, yeah. um and they're like, wow, I can't believe that. And then in the cre the credits were rolling, because, of course, we're sitting through the credits. And it's like, oh, it's Mark Mothersbaugh. No wonder this sounds so good. <laughs> they hired, like, a composer to compose. Mm. That's kind of nice. Oh, nice. Um, which, which, for those of you who don't know, Mark Mothersbaugh is, you know, he's the leader of Devo. And he's done the music for, like... Rugrats and The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou and like a million other things and just so it's just it's kind of like peppy kind of electronic-y music and it really helps set the tone for it because it was also directed by the guy who did um, What We Do in the Shadows mm. uh, who also did a voice for one of the other alien gladiators on this planet <laughs> so it was like very underscored it's like yeah I'm, I'm here I, I tried to live, lead a rebellion on my home planet uh, didn't work out so well 
<laughs> All the people who showed up to with the rebellion were my mom and her boyfriend. <laughs> and I hate him. <laughs> Wait, is this is this the same uh one that's in uh Flight I, of the Concords, or is it the other one? I think it's the other one. Oh, I can never okay. remember which one's which. Okay. He doesn't actually show up. He plays a, like this huge rock monster. Okay. <laughs> so it's like it's just his voice, <laughs> and it's just he just talks like that the entire time. He's like, "Oh hi, do you want to join the rebellion?" <laughs> it's great. Uh, we're we're taking that bloody big spaceship over there. You want to come with us? <laughs> um. Well, I I might see it at some point. I don't know. It's we. Uh, we had actually. Uh, you invited or, or me. What, what were you gonna say? Oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna say you it's it's up your it's probably in the top ten of Marvel movies. Like not at this point, I'm feeling like not all of those movies are worth watching. Like, but at their worst, they're like a solid C. So it's like even the worst ones are not bad. And this is definitely one of the better ones. I felt like, okay. Like it's way more entertaining than all of the other Thor movies. Like if you're going to just watch one Thor movie, make it, make it this one. And I say that as someone whose favorite of the first run leading up to Avengers, Thor was my favorite of those first Marvel movies. I mean, I, that's one of the few I've watched. Yeah. So, yeah. Was right. um, Nick and I had also discussed, like, taking a week and just, like, take a week off of work and just, like, watch all of the Avengers movies. Because yeah. um, apparently it's going to be, like, a 23... 22 or 23, yeah. ...movie cycle, which is fucking bananas. Yeah. But what's a movie more bananas, cycle? Yes. Yeah. So instead what? of a movie series, yeah, no, this is this is the crazy thing. I'm, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I would, like this was something that go and explain it. Okay, so Alex, thinks it's I'm not just a series. Like all of the movies in here are leading up to Infinity War, which was the trailer that just dropped the other day. Did any, did you guys? Oh, did you I, watched it. I watched. I watched the trailer okay. too. I watched the trailer with Thanos. It looks like the guy from Pawn Shop. I see. <laughs> I thought he looked more like um like like a CGI purple Bruce Willis. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he kind of, he does look kind of like the guy from Pawn Stars. Now Pawn that you Stars, mention it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but anyway, so, 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 so Infinity War part two or whatever they're going to end up calling it. Cause I don't think they're calling it that anymore. Um, the fourth Avengers film is going to be the last one in this cycle. And then basically like if, if, well, probably half of the cast that they've been building up, is probably going to be killed off in Infinity War. Like, Vision is almost certainly going to be killed off in Infinity War. I'd be surprised if Iron Man lived through Infinity War. Wait, who's, like, who's Vision? Vision, um, he was someone who... It was a plot point in Age of Ultron, and pretty much the only important thing in Age of Ultron is that Vision exists now. But he's... Not to explain it too much, he is a mixture of artificial intelligence a robot and Asgardian bullshit magic okay. who also has one of the infinity stones in his forehead. And one of the clips that you see in age of Ultron or the, uh, in the trailer for infinity war is Thanos, uh, ripping the mind gem out of his head. So it's like, yeah, no, he's dead. He's been around for one movie. He existed. So he could be killed off in this movie. And that's basically it. <laughs> but we know that Spider-Man is going to live. Spider-Man is going to live. And the Guardians the of the Galaxy are going to live. Because the second Spider-Man movie is going to start the next cycle so, yeah. of Marvel movies. So... <laughs> Sorry, now we're all looking at pictures of yeah. purple blue Bruce yeah, Willis. Yeah. No, no, no. He, he puts... Uh, so someone made a meme. This is the first time I saw this. Of 
Thanos's face on the guy from Pawn Stars, and it says, "I'm Rick Thanos, and this is my pawn shop." <laughs> oh God. Um, but yeah, so so Thor Ragnarok was really really good. Um, I loved it. Uh, it and it was interesting to me, and this is one of the things that I want to talk about, and I'm kind of gonna, I'm, I'm sorry, because I'm about to start talking about comics, guys. <laughs> oh, well, that's okay, because we had a lengthy comic-based discussion after we stopped recording last recording session. Oh, God, did we? And, yeah, we yeah. did, and we can bring that back in. I don't even remember what I talked about on the podcast and what I talked about outside. I, I just, it, in my head, it's all just one big thing. We should never stop recording. Just all No, <laughs> just record all the time. Um, so, okay. So this was something that was really interesting to me because I watched Thor Ragnarok and I'm like, man, this is great. We've got like cosmic bullshit. We've got like magical weapons. We've got actual Ragnarok happening, which is something that Jack Kirby wanted to do ever since like Thor was created. Like that was his vision for the Thor comics. Um, Jack Kirby being like the co-creator or probably more likely in most cases, the creator of most things that Marvel is now famous for. Um, he, he was the artist who worked with Stan Lee on a lot of things. Um, he, he co-created Thor as he exists in the Marvel universe. He's uh, one of the creators for the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. Yeah, he's Silver he's Surfer. the Tesla to Stan Lee's uh, Edison. More or less. That's probably a really good way of thinking about it. Like, uh, like Stan Lee gets all the credit, but like people who actually know comic history probably most of them think that Jack Kirby was the better creator. He also created a lot of like stupid shit, like the newsboy Legion, which I personally love. Um, but nothing's like super like, like, but everything that's like super well-known, he created Captain America. Like mm -hmm. him, him and uh, Joe Simon created Captain America in the forties. Yes. And then guess what? He signed up to go fight Nazis. Mm -hmm. Like, so, so, J like, Jack Kirby, okay, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, Jack Kirby did all this, like, really kind of goofy, like, cosmic comics. Like, he would love, like, comic books about gods and these big ideals and good versus evil. And, like, that's a lot of, a lot of his ideas really get put into Thor Ragnarok, I feel like. Because that was his idea, was he was going to make essentially Thor was going to be like Lord of the Rings, but for comics. Like you tell one story and then that story is over. So he was going to go through Ragnarok and then Thor would die and then not be in comics anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is obviously they go about it a little bit different in the movie. Thor doesn't die at the end of this one, but like that's what he wanted to do is he wanted to tell the story of Ragnarok and have it be like one complete story. And of course, doesn't work out. Like, Thor's, you know, 50 years later, Thor's still kicking around in the comics. Um, so, basically, he gets he gets tired of being... Okay. The other reason why I thought it was interesting is because that is, like, one Jack Kirby property that's currently in movie theaters. The other Jack Kirby property that is currently in movie theaters, although maybe as of the time that this recording goes out, maybe not anymore, is the villain in Justice League is also one of his creations. Uh, Steppenwolf. Wait, the band? You, not the band. <laughs> it actually predates the band, I okay. think. But I think he does name it after the Herman Hess novel. Okay. Um, so Steppenwolf is the villain in in Justice League. And Mother Boxes are like the big... Uh, um, 
what's the word? Uh, the MacGuffin that they're trying to get. Yeah, you know, mother boxes, and I think I talked about this last week on the podcast, or maybe I talked about it afterwards. Mother boxes are basically magical, sentient computers. Nope, you didn't mention it either time. Okay, I thought we talked about that. Nope. You okay. and I talked about that. Oh, you yeah. and I talked about it. Okay, yeah. so it was yet another conversation that I had about it. <laughs> All right. Never stop recording. And now you understand, podcast audience, why I get so quiet and surly when Nick starts talking about comics. I don't get a break. I really like comics. I love you. I actually haven't been talking. I've been talking about comics a lot recently because I've recently started rereading stuff. That's not true. Elise is mouthing all the time. Elise is talking. It's been all the time. (laughs) It has been all the time recently. I will admit that all the time recently. Um, That's why we need to always be recording so we can check these recordings. Um, it's like Marble Hornets, but for my bullshit, like, childish hobbies. Uh, <laughs> and then we start seeing stuff in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hearing weird audio glitches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that? <laughs> oh, no, that was just Nick talking about, like, why Green Arrow was better in the And 70s. the recording system just <laughs> died. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, and Green Arrow was all right in the 60s. It was better in the 70s. Oh, my God, stop. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. Can you so, pass me that bottle of scotch <laughs> that's behind you. This one. Yes, that one. Thank you. You're don't, don't drink it just out of the crap. <laughs> what are you doing? Anyway. Do what I want. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, no, that's single malt. Don't shoot it. <laughs> um. Anyway, so back back to my rant. Um. So what I found really interesting and what I've been thinking about and like one of the things that it struck me about what DC is doing wrong with their movies, which I was like one of the big things we talked about last week. Yes. Um, one of the big things that I think in my mind DC is doing wrong with their movies is that they're trying to set up too much too soon uh, in the sense that Steppenwolf requires a lot of backstory to understand why this is a threat. Or you at least need a lot of, like, introduction. Like, you don't just jump to that. Like, Steppenwolf is one of the, like, the foot soldiers for Darkseid, who is, or, like, not even a foot soldier, a lieutenant. Like, one of the, like, the higher-ups in Darkseid's army. So The Darkseid that sits on Miss Marvel's couch? Uh, it was uh, Supergirl's oh, Supergirl's couch. couch, yeah. Yes. Oh, no. Oh, no. Who was that? Well, I think it was Supergirl's. Okay. It's been a while. But yes, the dark side, he who sits on couches. <laughs> um, Sitter of couches. For, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. I think about, we've referenced it before. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Probably not. I, I don't know. Maybe. maybe. But uh, Countdown to Infinite Crisis. And I'm wearing my Infinite Crisis t-shirt today. But Countdown to Infinite Crisis is one of the worst comic books ever written. And it is filled with hilarious moments like one of the main characters i think it was super it was either supergirl it's or probably supergirl it was um uh not miss marvel that's the wrong name but yeah like uh lady shazam shazam her 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 name is escaping me at the moment uh walks in to find dark side just chilling on her couch in her apartment <laughs> uh so dark side is like the biggest villain in the dc universe like he is he is the equivalent to thanos and I feel like that's probably why they went straight to him is that Marvel's been building up to Thanos for like ever. I can't even remember when the first appearance yeah. of Thanos in a movie was, but like I think he shows up he shows up at the end of the Avengers. That's what it was. So like they build up to the Avengers and then at the end of the Avengers it's like, "Oh, Thanos was behind it the whole time." Um 
And so, you know, it's been like at this point, like six or seven years since that first Avengers movie, maybe even more. When did Avengers come out? I think I want to say 2011 or 2012. I really couldn't say. I don't know. Sorry. Um. So they've been building up to Thanos becoming a problem for like years. And they're like, okay, they're putting all the pieces in place. They're building up to this very slowly. This is a big cosmic level event. And then in like really the third, maybe fourth DC movie, they're like, oh yeah, dark side. Here's his guy on earth. We're not going to explain who Darkseid is. We're not going to explain who Steppenwolf is. We're just going to throw that in there. We're going to say that they're born to be wild and just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. Um, But here's the other problem with throwing them in, in this particular universe. And I've been reading my my fourth world comic. So Jack Kirby, when he moved to DC Comics after being screwed around by Marvel for too long, he went to DC Comics and he's like, I'm going to do the story that I want to do, which is Ragnarok. I want to do a Ragnarok story. So he created an entire new mythology, which is kind of collectively referred to as Fourth World. And it was a groundbreaking series because it was a story told, one single unified story told over multiple different titles that as he originally conceived it was going to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And you would get, eventually, they would all be published into like hardback books in a slipcase, just like Lord of the Rings. Like that was his idea for this. And I have the Fourth World Omnibus Collection, which is as close as we're ever going to get because he never got a chance to finish his vision as he wanted to. So the, the basic premise of, of the story is that there are two planets out in space. Um, there is Apocalypse and there is New Genesis. And Apocalypse is ruled by Darkseid and New Genesis is home to the new gods, the, the heroic characters. And this is a story... That was written by someone who had a clear view of the world, who had seen a lot of really terrible things in his life, and who really wanted the, it was beginning to see the world becoming better. And that at this core is like what makes it such a great story. Because it's written by a man who had gone to war, who had fought the Nazis. Like again, create a Captain America, joined the American military, and went to go fight in world war two. Like, so he actually saw firsthand the problems with totalitarianism and the problems with like fascism. And so that really, I feel like influenced a lot of his work because the fourth world story at its core is about the ideas of what, what he calls in the story life and anti-life and life is represented by new Genesis and it is represented by the characters of new Genesis whose powers are never combative, almost, with like the one exception of the person who was born on Apocalypse and was kind of traded as a hostage exchange to keep the two planets from ex- destroying each other. Mm-hmm. So the only actual warrior on this on this planet is Orion. And everyone else is like, their powers all come from like empathy. Like we have a character like Seraph, who is, or Seraphim, uh, who is able to like... Uh, he was a, uh, an empath. We've got beautiful dreamer who can like read minds. We've got light Ray who can fly around and he's like really bright and cheery all the time. We've got, um, high father who is like the ruler ostensibly. But the first time you see him in the book, 
he's bowing to children because he's like, oh, well, the, the children are the future, children are life, and we need to, like, it, it's about, like, old giving way to young and choice and free will and freedom of expression conquering over, like, militarism and darkness and violence is really what the story is about. Like, it was written in the early 70s, and the heroes are almost all hippies. Like, exclusively and expressly referred to as hippies. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, here's someone who's living through the 60s who had lived through World War II and said, these people understand what life is should be about. It should be about a freedom of expression. Like, it should be about people living their life as they see fit. And it's racially diverse, which for 1969, 1970, I think was when the first one was published, is, like, pretty amazing. Figures of authority are shown in not always the best light. Um, people who are outcasts from society and living on the fringes of society are shown to be, hey, they're creating things. They're building things. They're creating all these beautiful works of art. And so, like, that's really what the story is about, is about freedom of choice, freedom of expression, life. And conformity, authority, militarism, and violence being anti-life. And so when you throw that into a Zack Snyder movie, it completely destroys the point. When the movies that directly lead into this, I'm throwing Wonder Woman out because Wonder Woman doesn't really add anything into, um, into Justice League other than Wonder Woman's in Justice League. But like the events of that movie don't play into it. Okay. So if you're looking at just Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman as the basis for it, Superman in Fourth World. If you're if you're looking at this as a Fourth World Fourth World story, Superman in, appears in those stories, and his story is mostly like, "Hey, here are some people who are kind of like me. Maybe I can find a place that I belong, but I also need to like protect the Earth." So there's like conflict there. There's also like uh, Jimmy Olsen is a major character in these, who by the way was killed off in Batman versus Superman, and you only find that out in the extended cut. Wow. Um, there's like a random spy who shows up in one scene who's immediately killed. And in a throwaway line in the extended cut, he introduces himself as Jimmy Olsen. Wait, isn't there a reporter, not a spy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's Zack Snyder. It was like, oh, oh okay. reporters aren't cool. The military's cool. Oh, okay. Um, spies are cool. Espionage is cool. Um, so like, it's just completely absurd to me that the first movie you would throw this up in, like, that you created in, you introduce Superman as someone who feels burdened by power and doesn't care about the people he protects and is conflicted as to whether he should let people live or die and has to resort to murder to save the day at the end. Like... All of that would be anti-life <laughs> and you're throwing that into a movie where you're making like you're doing that into a universe where eventually you're setting Darkseid up to be the villain. What? It's supposed to be about these two big ideas of like, what do we want to be? Who do we want to be in the world? Do we want to be people who embrace love or do we want to be people who embrace violence? And ultimately, it, and it's a very... Um, it's a very positive story uh, because the way that he seems to think about it is that given the choice and we're all given the choice, we all choose life. And the way that he illustrates that best is that there is a hostage exchange at the like, kind of to set up the story 
where in order to keep High Father and uh, and uh, Dark Side from going to war all the time, they exchanged sons. So High Father's son the, from New Genesis is given to Apocalypse to be raised on Apocalypse, so that Dark Side has the chance of like corrupting this child of New Genesis. And Darkseid's son, Orion, is raised on New Genesis. And both of them turn out to be heroes in the end. Uh, Orion does so kind of, is always in conflict because his violent nature does kind of make him evil. But he uses his violence instead of to promote his own power to kind of protect other people. Like from other people who would use violence against him. And it's a constant struggle to keep that violence in check. Um, whereas Mr. Miracle, who is the, uh, Scott free, who was raised on the other planet uses this oppression to harness his power, which is he has the ability to escape anything. Um, so he becomes basically an avatar of freedom of becoming like getting free from everything else. So it's a very positive story that we then are throwing now in justice league into a very dark, dingy kind of thing, which you need to set it up to be positive from the beginning so that when you see, oh, this is what could happen to Earth if Darkseid wins, it doesn't look just like what happens in uh, Batman versus Superman and Man of Steel anyway. And it, it seems like the frustrating thing is that, like, the one life character in what they're trying to set up as the Justice League is Wonder Woman. Is Wonder Woman, yeah. You know, and she. And because, like, she has her whole monologue at the end of Wonder Woman yeah. where she she's like, you know, I I recognize that humans can be really crappy, but I choose to believe in love and I choose yeah. to believe, you know, I choose to believe in the good in the world. Yeah. And that's and that's kind of what I was saying is that um, that's why I didn't count Wonder Woman because Wonder Woman is actually probably the closest thing you could do. Because Wonder Woman is still tonally very, very dark. Yeah. But there's, like, a lot more hope in that movie than there is in the other two. And I feel like that's an important distinction. Like, that's something that... If that had been the setup, it would then make more sense. Yeah. Like if Wonder Woman was the first movie out of the gate and all of the other ones kind of had this, we need to keep hope in the face of darkness kind of tone as opposed to, oh, uh, I guess I'm the savior of humanity, I guess that like yeah. s that man of steel had, then, then that would probably have been a better setup. But as it was, it just, and, and I bought my, my drunken uh, Thanksgiving evening purchase on my phone. I was like scrolling through after having a few drinks at my dad with my dad uh, at his bar. Um, he, I, I saw on my phone that there was a, a sale on Amazon for the extended cut of Batman versus Superman for $4. And I'm like, well, that's the price of a rental. That's worth that. <laughs> so I, I'd buy that for $4. I, I'd buy that for $4. And I did. We haven't watched it yet, but. Oh um, my God. Yeah, we'll probably talk about that at some and point like, in the future. And like, I forgot the that he had bought this. Yeah, and so yeah. then it came in the mail. She had also had was, a few drinks. I was so upset. I was so upset. She's like, why didn't you buy Wonder Woman? And I'm like, because Wonder Woman was more expensive. This was $4. Should have waited it for it to get cheaper. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know if it would get cheaper than that. <laughs> bargain bin. Anyway, that was like, that is bargain bin price. I, I would pay bargain bin price for Batman versus Superman. Uh -huh, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's what I've been thinking about. I've been reading, I've been reading my fourth world comics and those are fucking great. And if you've never read them, go read them. Or if they're too, they're, if they're too old and like cheesy for you, which it's kind of hard to get into, like, cause it is very seventies in terms of writing. 
Um, if that's too weird for you to get into, um, Grant Morrison, Seven Soldiers of Victory also has a Mr. Miracle story, and that's great. And from what I've heard, the current run of Mr. Miracle is also really good. I haven't read that yet, but um, yeah, go check those out. Those are all really good. But yeah, New Gods, Fourth World, all really good stuff. It sucks that they're being wasted in a terrible movie. Mm. Or even a mediocre movie. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. Once again... Uh, superheroes kind of fail to interest me. Yeah, and I, that's kind of what we were talking about after yeah. the uh, after the mics went off last time. Yeah, it's yeah. like why why does Alex kind of ambivalent about superheroes? Yeah, and, and it's got a fair amount to do with like messianic imagery, if I remember correct. Yeah, I think that's what Elise was kind of pushing. Yeah, so I, I was pushing the theory that um, a lot of comic books. This is something I'm going to be honest with you guys, like. I was supposed to research this. I was supposed. To, I I didn't. I didn't. I will try it's for okay. the next. It's okay. Episode. So yeah, my argument was that um, a lot of a lot of comic book heroes sort of end up as Christ-like figures, and that might be a reason to turn off a lot of people from comic books. Um, Possibly, like for example, you know. This is not, not Christ-like, but like when I was taking a history to comic books class in college, the way my professor explained how we was able to convince the, the university to let him teach this class was where he sat them down and he said, okay, here's a story where a young boy is set in a, a basket down a river by his mother and by his parents, uh, and then when he grows up, he, he, you know, he's raised by another family. When he grows up, he turns out to be the savior of the people. And it's like, what is that? Oh, oh, it's 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 uh, Moses. And it's like, no, it's Superman. Superman. Yeah, no, yeah. it is. So, so you know, in that and like like we were also talking about, like they were, it was he was created by two Jews. Yeah, yeah. But after a time in America in the 1930s, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, to be fair, they did, I think, kind of change their names to to make it less obvious that they were I Jewish. I believe that... I, I mean, they were, they were the children of immigrants. They weren't directly immigrants themselves, if I'm remembering right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, like, again, kind of, if you're looking at Superman as an, allegor as an allegory, you know... But after a while... Someone who <laughs> changes his name from Kal-El? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But... but to, to Clark Kent. <laughs> but, I am a Gentile. Yeah. But Moses He's in Kansas. <laughs> Moses isn't is like has flaws. Moses is like a character that you know he he is begrudging about his role and eventually kind of come, warms up to it. But even after a while, you know, he grows to kind of resent it. Uh, whereas you know Superman, of course, that's the Zack Snyder so, version. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of but a lot of retellings of Superman kind of. I'm thinking specifically of the uh, Justice League cartoons from the yeah. late 90s, early 2000s. Those are the best. Which are awesome and amazing. And also The Adventures of Superman. It was called The Adventures of Superman. The Super Adventures of Superman, that's correct. Yeah. Um, from the late 90s, early 2000s. In which, yeah, Superman was just Jesus. He was just secular Jesus with short hair. See, um, okay, I disagree with, with that on the view that, like... Again, he's. A, there are times when people portray him as being like completely without flaws, and I don't think that that's the case. I the reason why I find Superman to be an interesting character, um, and I think what, uh, what a lot of people miss about him as a character, um, 
I was actually watching a, a something on YouTube about this the other day, and I can't remember who who was making it. But it's like, no, they this person got it exactly right, exactly what my thoughts are on it. There, the um, the concepts that we have for superheroes come through movies, and the best movie version of Superman is still the Christopher Reeves version, who's just kind of silly at this point. I mean, those are the only Superman movies I've seen. Yeah, well, they're the only Superman movies that are worth seeing, mm-hmm. so you're fine. <laughs> um, and, the, and, you know, and even then, only the first two, and even then, kind of not even the second one. <laughs> I mean, the second one, I, the second one's really, really good, and the Richard Donner cut is better than the theatrical cut, but they're both they both have their flaws. Um, but in any event, yeah, the, the the really interesting thing about Superman to me is is that his flaw is that he was raised as a regular person. And so he isn't Superman. Like that's what, that's what really bothers me about that uh, monologue from the end of kill bill volume two, where, where bill is like talking about, uh, Oh, Superman is always Superman. Clark Kent is like a parody. He thinks that human beings are weak. Like that's what he thinks of us. Like, no, Clark Kent is Superman. Superman is the identity that Clark Kent takes on when he realizes that he has the power to save people. Like, he was raised Clark Kent. In most of the versions of the story, he doesn't realize that he has these powers until, like, he becomes a teenager. In, like, Mm -hmm. most of the modern ways that that story is told, they start manifesting. And this was, like, one of the few good things that the, the show Smallville did. That his powers start manifesting around... Like puberty. I mean, the so, the original comic, he's like, is a baby. He breaks needles. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the original comic was uh, that Superman is very different. Yeah, like that Superman is like overtly political. Yeah, <laughs> first and like foremost. he stopped the war in South America, like by by taking yeah. the leaders of the two of two c- countries and the armaments CEO that was supplying them yeah. and like sitting them down and dangling them outside of a window. It's like, okay, we're going to stop this war now. Yeah. 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 And like, and like <laughs> that's the, the Superman, the very first appearance of Superman. The very first thing that he does is he basically kidnaps a, uh, a corrupted politician. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's the very first thing Superman ever Can did. Can we in a bring comic. that Superman back? Please? Well, they did actually. Uh, <laughs> okay. Grant Morrison's run in action comics. Check that out. Oh shit. Uh, <laughs> Sweet. It, like it's really good, like the uh, super where Superman is basically just starting off in Metropolis. Like it's supposed to be just after he leaves home to start his life in Metropolis, and his costume is a T-shirt with the Superman logo on it, <laughs> a teeny tiny cape, shitty jeans that are like rolled up at the cuffs, and like shit kicker boots. <laughs> and he breaks, like he does, he brings him back to like Action Comics number one in this in his version of Action Comics, where his the first thing that he does in that in that version of action comics is he breaks into a fundraiser, grabs a politician who has been doing something corrupt and hangs him over the side of a building. <laughs> Superman versus Donald Trump. Go essentially. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm sorry. I, I, I kind of got off my, my topic here, but, but yeah, I kind of push you off what, the topic. What sorry. makes him, what makes him interesting to me is the balance of a regular guy from the Midwest Finding out over the course of your life that, no, you're actually an alien god. That's what makes him interesting. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Wow. That sounds like uh, some guy that was, you know, born 2,000 years ago, was raised as a regular guy by a carpenter, 
and then eventually learned, you know, around age 12 that he was the son of but, God. But he doesn't. Interesting. But the story then does not become about how does one deal with that knowledge, Yeah. which is, I think, what makes that interesting. That the. the you know, but, the, but just to like further parallels I, between I'm like, not saying you know, and saying like the Moses yeah. is is Superman an allegory for Moses or is Superman an allegory for I mean, Jesus, and because of the fact that it's like he is the son of a god, yeah, that I think makes it more in line with the messianic, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to say that it doesn't. Like this, the Superman mythos is very much entrenched in both Jewish and Christian mythologies, yeah. which. Comic books are mythology. Like I yeah. will, I will defend that to the day that I die. Is that that is what we have now in place of mythology? It is a secular mythology. The same can be said for Lord of the Rings. The same can be said for uh, Star Wars or same, internet copy pastas or in, internet <laughs> copy pastas. Um, to a lesser extent, those those are those are more like ghost stories than anything else. But I mean, yeah, we we've been telling the same stories for ten thousand years. And now we're just doing it in celluloid and digital video and on um, printed, uh, you know, four colored pages with like word bubbles. Which is also like another really frustrating thing about Zack Snyder is that he like brings Anne Randian values yes. into this fucking mythology. Oh, and it's like, get the fuck out Which, of here, in, Zack Snyder. In fairness, if we're going back to like the beginnings of comic books, like that's not surprising. Like, like you can point to specific examples. The guy, um, and I, I can, I'm blanking on his name right now. The guy who co-created Spider-Man was, uh, was a follower of Ayn Rand. Like, not Stan Lee, but the artist who helped create Spider-Man. And just like Jack Kirby, when he got fed up of, with Stan Lee hogging all the credit, he went off and created his own characters someplace else. And one of the characters he created was The Question. And the question, if you've read Watchmen, the question is ba is the basis for Rorschach. And that's where, you know, Alan Moore got that idea of like, oh, yeah, someone who just is completely unflinching in this belief. And then he also created an even more extreme version of that character, the same artist um, called Mr. A, who is kind of like the question, but even more hardline objectivist. Mm. Like, the name coming from the Iron Rand A is A quote, like A equals A. Yeah. Um, so you can definitely put those things in there and that's fine. But where that becomes a problem is if you don't then give the competing point of view, like, it, it, like you can have an objectivist Batman objectivist Batman works decently. Well, you have a Iron Man who many would, you could say would also be, especially like with Iron Man two was very much an Iron Rand kind of story where it's like, oh, no one can use this technology safely except for me. I'm not letting the government have it. That's the plot of Iron Man 2. Yeah. It's the fountainhead with robot suits. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the problem then becomes either you need to have that be the only ideology expressed in the movie and have no sort of conflict or, or, or if the, there's conflict, it's coming from the bad guys. Like, in Iron Man 2, that idea is, like, the people who are trying to stop Tony Stark from doing the right thing. Mm, we don't like them. It can't be that there are two characters who essentially are espousing the same ideology <laughs> because they fighting to, each other. <laughs> so Zack Snyder basically tries to create objectivists. 
Superman, Superman which, which does doesn't not work. work. <laughs> or if it does work, it doesn't work if you're also then fighting objective as Batman. Yeah. They should be friends. <laughs> so that's why it works much better in the Marvel series because you have this sort of yeah. objection objectionist uh I feel like I'm not saying that right. Objectivist. Objectivist uh Iron Man, but then he's balanced out by very messi- me- messianic, self-sacrificing Captain, Captain America. America. And who in turn is also balanced out by kind of, um, you know, cocksure and very kind of, you know, old world's uh, almost feudal uh, Thor, who in turn is also balanced out by the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde figure of Bruce Banner and the Hulk. Can, like, can we get some Marxist Soviet superheroes in on this too? I think that's what the, Black Widow is. That's Black Widow or, po- or Winter Soldier, actually. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's exactly go. what Winter Soldier <laughs> no, is. No, that's true. That is true. Um, so yeah, no, you, like, you can totally do that kind of thing where it's like, oh, well, we disagree on these things politically. Like, you you're doing this thing and that's wrong and I'm going to stop you. Like there have been superhero stories that do that. Well, the problem is that you need to make that balance clear. Like if, if if Batman is old and grizzled and angry and tired of having to protect people, Superman cannot also be grizzled and angry and tired of having to protect people. If they're going to fight. What what, what is a green lantern and green arrow? Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm sorry. Oh my God. I love this fucking series. Okay. Sorry. Go on. No, no, no. Explain. Okay. Okay. I just said two names and you got really excited. Really excited. So um, there was another series from the seventies. Uh, with Green Arrow and Green... I know, I complain a lot about Nick talking about comics, and he's just actually corrupted me. Yep. But, um, so anyway, so Green Arrow and Green Lantern. So Green Lantern um, works for the, like, mystical board of lantern holders in out in outer space. They're called Owens. Okay, fine, whatever. Owen, they they like have names. Owen Wilson? Um, <laughs> hey. Hey. <laughs> Oh my god, just tiny blue Owen Wilsons. Hey, uh, I think you should crash that wedding later. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so anyway. We're going to go, uh, we're, the, universe, the, the universe will have to watch itself for a while. We're filming a movie with Wes Anderson. <laughs> so, we're going to be on set, tiny little twee sets for a while. So they, so the, the, the Owens very much believe in like you have to do you have to follow the letter of the law. And the law is always right and the law is always just and you need to follow it. And if you don't follow it then you're on the wrong side, right? So they have a very black and white thinking. Green Arrow on the other hand is a sort of Robin Hood figure. He's very very wealthy, realizes like man it sucks to be poor. And decides to give up his life of wealth in order to make things better for the lower classes. um, Because he's fucking amazing. And he also believes in, like, the power of the gray area. And the idea that, like, you know, sometimes, like, the law is not always just. Which, by the way, this was totally written in the 70s. 40 years ago, yeah. Yeah. Um, And, uh, yeah, no, because the law is totally just now. But he ends up... So the Green Arrow Green Lantern series... What ends up happening is uh, the Green Lantern gets brought in to one of the Green Arrows crazy. Let's explore the gray area between, uh, you know, what is what is legal and what is illegal. 
Um, which then gets him in trouble with the lantern. Uh, I'm calling them lanterns, but it gets him in trouble the with the Owens the, because the, he ends up the like guardians. the guardians. He ends up getting in trouble with the guardians because he is te- he ends up doing something illegal, but for the right reasons. To which Green Arrow is like, "Well, son." We're going to go on a road trip, and I'm going to show you all the times that the law is not always just or right. Um, <laughs> but but it, was able to give, it was able to give those characters differing yes. you know, opinions yeah. and have them basically discuss this in a long-form comic series. Yes. Uh, Which also is kind of cheesy. It's a little hard to get into because some of the times it's like, it is so heavy-handed, yeah. but damn... The, the guy Damn, who, we need more, like, superheroes just going on road trips and writing Den- wrongs. Dennis O'Neill, or Denny O'Neill, uh, the guy who wrote it, uh, started off his career actually as a journalist. So it's a little bit more realistic in terms of, like, the writing than some of the other stuff that was coming out at the same time. But, yeah, the, he also wrote a very good question series, but since Denny O'Neill is, like, fairly left-wing, he was like, ugh. I don't want the question to be this like angry uh, objectivist. So basically, he goes like the very first issue. He goes on a mission, almost dies, and discovers Eastern mysticism, <laughs> um, and that basically defined the character for the last thirty years, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Taking him and reforming really, him. Really, yeah. just like put the the middle finger to Ayn Rand. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a fan of anyway. And then Alan Moore wrote that same character and, like, explicitly made him not the good guy. Yeah. And Zack Snyder saw that same source material and was like, oh, man, Rorschach is totally the hero of this story. If only we all believed in Rorschach's vision. Oh, my God. Of darkness and rain. So apparently they also uh, hired a misogynist at large, um... Uh, God, what is his name? I, I don't know. You I don't have know. to narrow it down. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty wide Firefly. net you're casting. Oh, Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon. So they hired Joss Whedon to sort of do a reshoot of uh, Justice League. Yeah. So it's half like darkness and rain, Zack Snyder, and half like... Do you bleed? You will. <laughs> and sort of, and then like half, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. From what I hear, though, and, and in, in fairness to Joss Whedon, which is, as you know, something that I am very <laughs> loath to do. But in fairness to him, from what I've heard from people who have seen the movie, the parts that he did, and it's easy to tell the parts when he did when Superman is on screen because Superman's upper lip is CGI'd in those in those scenes. Wait, what? Oh, you didn't hear about oh, this? No. God. Okay, so, um, so side just upon side so oh god, yeah, I, I don't even remember what topic we were on originally. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's freeform. Just go. Okay, so so um, so Justice League, so so Suicide Squad came out. Yeah, and everyone hated it. Yeah, and then Wonder Woman came out, and a lot of people kind of liked it. Yeah, and then they're like, oh man, we're in the middle of doing Justice League, we gotta fix it. We gotta scramble to make this better. Make it more like Wonder <laughs> Woman and less like Suicide Squad, guys. Make it less like Batman versus Superman. Uh, and then Zack Snyder, of course, not not a subject for jokes, but Zack Snyder did have to leave the shoot because of a personal tragedy. Um, and so Joss Whedon came in to kind of finish up the editing and do some reshoots to kind of work on the tone a little bit, make it a little bit lighter toned. Um, well, Henry Cavill, in the meanwhile, who plays Superman... 
uh, was filming Mission Impossible 6, I think is the movie. Um, whichever Mission Impossible movie is the next one coming out. And Paramount hired him in his contract. It was stated, okay, for this role, your character has a mustache. You cannot, under any circumstances, shave that mustache while we are filming this movie. <laughs> well, Superman doesn't have a mustache. Superman should have a mustache. <laughs> um, <laughs> Superman, but he, but in the films, in the parts of the film that they had already shot, Superman did not have a mustache. <laughs> and since he was in the middle of filming this, when he came back for the reshoots... He had a mustache. I want to see the behind-the-scenes pictures of Superman with a mustache. I know. Right. I know. And so, and I swear, I, I believe in my heart of hearts that some vindictive asshole at Paramount <laughs> put that into the contract exactly for this reason. Because it is a million times easier to make a convincing fake mustache <laughs> for just, like... Maybe, like, if you're going to go, like, really outside the bounds of, like, what would work on film, maybe a couple hundred dollars mm -hmm. for, like, a really convincing fake mustache. No, this has got to be real, guys. It's got to be a real mustache. I have a vision you, of you mustache future. <laughs> and so, so in the reshoot things, so you can tell if it's a Joss Whedon scene because Henry Calville's upper lip is CGI'd and it apparently <laughs> looks terrible. Oh, God. So they spent millions of dollars to CGI the mustache, CGI the mustache out, the out rather than buying, I don't know, a 50 cent fucking mustache yeah. on goddamn Amazon. Yeah. Which would have worked probably just as well for Paramount. But that's why I'm convinced that some vindictive, vindictive asshole at Paramount did this. Like, it was in his contract that he could not shave. Goodness. <laughs> and that be... Nah. <laughs> And so, yeah, so apparently the scenes that we, you can tell are Joss Whedon based off of how fake Henry Cavill's face looks um, were, are actually supposed to be some of the better scenes in the movie. So to give him full credit, whatever he did actually probably worked, yeah. probably because he worked on two and a half pretty good superhero movies mm. yeah. in the past. It's because everyone is trying to keep a straight face looking at Superman with a mustache. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah, that's, yeah, the, the DC, get it together, guys. Get <laughs> it together. Would you go read the Green Arrow, Green Lantern mm -hmm. road, road Trip Adventures? Yeah, it's pretty good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Elise didn't do a great job of summarizing it, but she oh, hasn't thanks. actually read it yet. She, she did a pretty good job, but it wasn't. I read, like, the first chapter. Why are you going to out me on I'm the podcast, saying. Mad? <laughs> um, I just want the people to know who do know the story that I know the story. Shut up. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, she, she's pretty close. Uh, uh, let's see. What else have we been up to? Uh, oh, we've been playing Super Mario Odyssey. Yeah, that's been a lot of fun. Um, I feel like it really, I don't know, invigorates the uh, open world concept. Uh, so it does it in a really interesting way. I love, I, I love this game. I love Super Mario Odyssey. Um, so there's several worlds that you travel between, and each world is open world. It's uh, So you can go anywhere, you can travel, you can do just about anything, um, including repeatedly hit uh, uh, NPCs with your hat, Yep. which I might have found way too amusing while playing this. Anyway, <laughs> um, 
<laughs> uh, so you go through and you you play the different worlds and you have uh, your friend Cappy, um, who I don't know. Nick, do you want to explain the the story of Super Mario Odyssey? Uh, Princess Peach gets captured. You have to go save her. Also, a hat gets captured, and the hat's brother wants to get her back, and so Mario and the hat team up to go stop Bowser. It's a lot more fun than it sounds. It's, well, no, shit. I mean, it's if a it's Super about Mario game, yeah. like there's not really much to the story. Hey, hats are cool. Everyone. Hats are cool. <laughs> um, and like the most fun part of the game is honestly just buying the most ridiculous outfits. Oh, you can buy Mario in his underwear. Mm-hmm. Uh, running around New York City as a space band is pretty fun. Oh, how does how does the conflicting art styles of humans, it, regular ass? It humans actually to... it's it's integrated really really well. Okay, it's not like Sonic levels of no. weirdness. No. Well, because that's only one part of it. Okay. Um, so there's like different kingdoms and one of the kingdoms is the Metro Kingdom and the, it's all one big city. The Kingdom of New York. Yeah, it basically. It's New it's New Donk City. And so like that's kind of... King Bloomberg and, and, sitting yeah. on his golden throne. <laughs> oh, the mayor's a lady. The mayor is a lady. That's true. Um, lady Bloomberg. Lady Bloomberg. Well, it's, it's Pauline. It's actually a pretty good uh, joke because it's, it's uh, the girlfriend from... Uh, the original Donkey Kong. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So it's like she, she, you know, after that whole incident. And they after make a joke, they make a joke about it at one point. If you, um, in the endgame content, she's like, oh, Mario, I feel like we should uh, catch up and like get to know each other better again. And then it's like, uh, th- there's a throwaway line in one of the things that she says about like, yeah, about 30 years ago, I got captured by a monkey, but things have been great since then. <laughs> <laughs> goodness yeah so they they do it i mean (coughs) and so basically the idea is that like well all the people of these different kingdoms look very different so you go to a desert uh kingdom the sand kingdom and like the people there are all like little teeny like fluorescent skeletons and sombreros and ponchos and they have little maracas and they like dance around okay so they're like very like dio de los muertos kind of vibe going on it's only mildly racist it's it's you know it's for japan it's not racist at all yeah like they could, since it came from Japan, it could have been way, way worse. Um, and then there's a there's a forest kingdom that's like a biodome, and it's tended by these robots with so Polly Shore. Yeah, with Polly Shore, I and mean, all those so these little robot flower like watering cans who go around. So like by the time you get to the New York level, it's like it, nothing is weird. Nothing is weird anymore. Okay. Like, <laughs> So I don't want to spoil too much, but it's really interesting how you... They saved the princess at the end, guys. Okay, fine. But the, the really <laughs> what? interesting... What? Spoilers! Sorry. ...thing is that, like, you get... You kind of play through the story mode of the game, and then you can just go off and explore... It's almost like the climax of the story happens in about the middle of the game, and then you're kind of free to go explore and find things and collect things and just kind of do... All the things that was really fun yeah. about like Super Mario sixty or not yeah. Super um Super Mario Nintendo sixty four Mario yeah Super Mario Mario sixty four Mario yeah. sixty four yeah. um yeah so and and I definitely do feel like yeah the end game content is probably some of the best stuff in the game because uh, it's like yeah buying the stuff collecting stuff getting the stupid new outfits um all of that is a lot of fun uh and really I mean. At this point, the Switch, the big, the big problem that I have with the Switch is, like, a really, really amazing game has been coming out for it, like, every maybe month or two. But then it's like, I go through it, and then I'm like, all right, I'm kind of 
done with that. So it's like Breath of the Wild, like amazing. Totally worth buying the Switch just to play Breath of the Wild. Like if it was nothing but a Breath of the Wild machine, I felt like it would have been worth the $300 I spent for it. <laughs> um, but then I finished it and I was like, well, okay, I'm done with that. And then like ARMS came out and I played ARMS for a little bit and I never really got into it because I'm not really a big fighter, the fighting game guy, but I liked it. Um, and then, you know, uh, Splatoon came out and I played a lot of Splatoon for a while. And then I kind of like petered out on that. Like there's gotta be, and then Super Mario Odyssey, I've been playing tons of, and then it's just kind of like, well, I'm, I'm mostly done with that unless I want to just get all of the, uh, all of the end game content, which I feel like I kind of want to do at this point. But then when I'm done doing that, I don't know what to do next. <laughs> So, I don't know, That's if I had one big criticism for the Nintendo Switch, is that there needs to be more games on there that aren't just Nintendo games or shovelware. And I think that there's probably a few that I just don't know about, but I don't know enough to know that I don't know them, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, that know. makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun you guys have been up to. Yeah. Uh, I've been playing games, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of a lot of games I've been playing, but I did play a new thing actually, and I wanted to talk about it on the podcast, okay. yeah, and I kind of wanted to get talk about it and a tangent related to it. And it's a game. Uh, it was introduced to me by a mutual friend of all of ours, mm-hmm. and um, it's called Total. It's called Total War Arena. It's not by the people that do Total War, like uh, Medieval Total War or yeah, Rome yeah. Total War, but it's by the people who do World of Battleships, World of Tanks. Oh, so, yeah. So it's a free to play game. It's actually in beta. World of Tank Craft. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And so what it is, is it's a kind of a cooperative strategy game okay. where it's in multiplayer. It's multiplayer only. And you have 10 people on each side that controls three units of troop. And you move them in real time around a battlefield to try to kind of tactically huh. uh, take over a world, a, a battlefield. And the the setting is kind of classical, the classic era. So you've got Roman, Greek, and barbarian as the three kind of factions for units. <laughs> Roman, Greek, and everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> but see, here's the thing. Here, uh, the the game is like I say in in beta, so it's still kind of in development. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from what I played, I played a couple hours with him, and you know, it, it's it's fun. It's a it's a game that I might get into playing more. But here's the thing. It is completely anachronistic. Oh, like, you don't like, say. To the, uh, they have a lot of kind of background information that's like, oh, this is the actual story of these people and this type of thing. But you have like people fighting each other that were hundreds of years apart. And this is not, this is like not an isolated case. This is something, every time you get something from like the ancient world or the classical world, mm-hmm. you have these characters interacting that should be dead <laughs> by the time the other one's born. And it always just kind of... Julius Caesar versus Alexander the Great. Yeah, just fuck, fuck it. Um, and I, I was thinking, it's like, why does this happen? And why, why does this happen? And, I mean, the obviously it's because we have the most information about Rome and Greece, right? Yeah. They're the ones that wrote the most about themselves because it's so full of it. But, um, yeah. excuse me. I'm all right. I'm getting over a cold. That's uh, apologize for any background sneezing and coughing you may have heard. But the the crux of it is that you could set it in the ancient world and still have it at the same time if you chose a different 
civilization to focus on uh, or a different time. Like, for example, the one I was, uh, was postulating is what if you were to set this or set any game for that matter, a strategy game, history game, uh, or even an RPG during or just before the Great Bronze Age collapse? Like, you would have access to... Gotta the, fight those sea peoples. The Egyptians, yeah, the sea peoples, the Hittites, the Assyrians, the Mycenaeans. You could get all of them together and have, like, a grand strategy game or have, like, an RPG where you'd bop around from different civilizations to civilization, fighting the sea peoples or whatever. And you could, because there's not as much documentation from that period, you would have more creative license to kind yeah. of make stuff up and, and kind of tell us an interesting, unique story that hasn't been told a hundred thousand times <laughs> since the fall of Rome. Uh, y you could do this, and nobody seems to want to try. At least yeah. not anybody that I know of. Uh, there's maybe one indie game that would, I, I think, did something about the Bronze Age, but in any case, it's kind of one of those forgotten times, or it's kind of used as a prequel to, let's get to Rome, guys. Mm. And... I don't know. Does anyone else see this problem? I don't play strategy games that um, often, so I don't know. I, I was like, but... Uh, okay. So, you listed a lot of people, and all of them sound not white. And I just wonder well, if neither... maybe... Maybe that's a reason. I mean, the Romans and the Greeks aren't white either, or weren't... You know, what is whiteness, anyway? That doesn't matter. Yeah. The, the point is that... Well, that... well, it matters when you're creating art for racist. That's that's what it matters. <sighs> like 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 that's kind of like the 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 short of it is like a, uh, we're not going to get representation outside of of Western Europe as long as we a, don't push diversity. I mean, let's, Assassin's, Assassin's Creed, Creed Origins is doing the gangbusters right now. But and that was set in ancient. But Egypt. here's the thing: it's not set in ancient. It's set in uh, Ptolemaic Egypt. Oh, it is. It's, like, it's set. Yeah, Cleopatra oh, well, that's is a bullshit person. Then. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> it's it's Cleopatra and Caesar kind of are the backdrop of this. It's like when you go to Egypt. You, you go to, like, the, um, what is it, uh, Yul Brenner version of ancient Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Moses. Moses. So, you know, we could get that. We could get, we have games set in ancient China. Yeah. We have, like, Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Yeah. That's a story that exists. But, uh, and it's, they make, like, 12 of them. And Dynasty Warriors. Yeah. <laughs> the even more realistic version. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. Yeah. But, like, you know, you can talk about the ancient world and not limit it to Greece and Rome and yeah. Carthage if you're feeling lucky. Like, that was the other thing I was saying. I know it's been played to shit. You could do the Phoenician. You, you could put in um, the Punic Wars. You know, that's it's kind of the oldest kind of world war when the, the entire known world was kind of uh, about it. And you could put that as a faction in your game, mm. uh, you know, but they don't. They have Greece, Rome, and barbarians, barbarians. for whatever you call that. Barbarians, they have got, like, Gauls and, and Dacians. And to, like I said, to be fair, they do have a wide net that they Oh, do you get to represent. choose what variety, like, what flavor of barbarian? You, you have to, you kind of level up through them. So, okay. like, like, as you level up your, as you get experience from winning the battles... You, or losing the battles even, you you kind of unlock higher tiers of the types of troops you have. So you have different types of units. You have swordsmen, you have spearmen, you have uh, archers, and you have horsemen. And uh, depending on which faction you use and if you you know level up the right unit types down the tech tree, 
you kind of can unlock different types of uh, peoples. <laughs> you, you can unlock the Dacians later on. Da- Dac- Dacia or, or Dacia is a uh, region in ancient Rome that was now Romania. Mm. Uh, and uh, the Romans kind of right, conquered right, right, it yeah. briefly and held onto it and then lost it. It was like the furthest extent of Rome is into Dacia, and then they started to lose it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I would I would play the shit out of a game <laughs> set in the Bronze Age collapse, um, but maybe that's just me. Maybe this is not a market for it. I don't know. I, that would actually probably – it would probably be pretty interesting, Yeah, like if you specifically set a strategy game there. I feel like the closest – that we've ever gotten was that uh alexander expansion to rome total war but i feel like that's falling more into what you're complaining about which is like wait a minute why are ancient greek hoplites like yeah. in the same time period as like carthaginian war elephants yeah <laughs> that's that's not what we want yeah uh but um i mean i, I would i would also like i was talking to another friend uh an rpg set during that period i have been trying to uh, convince people to play a game set in like Sumeria, like a tabletop game <laughs> yes, in Sumeria, and I, I would that. run it, and I have a story I want to tell. But um, I, I think out of all of us, though, you're the only person who knows all that much about Sumeria, <laughs> so you'd have to coach us a little bit. I think. Well, that's 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 part of the fun, isn't it? learning? Most, most of what I know about it is the uh, "They Might Be Giants" song about the Mesopotamians. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Sargon, which... Hammurabi, Ashurbanipal, and Gilgamesh, mm-hmm. who were also not, not alive yeah. at the same time, and Gilgamesh is a fictional person, probably. Well, I mean, he was probably, probably. based off a real person. Possibly, we don't, we we don't even know. It's like one yeah. of the oldest writings. Yeah, There's yeah. no one before that that can verify it. <laughs> I mean, think about how long everyone thought that Troy was a myth until someone just dug it up. Yeah, so, who knows? We're gonna find his temple one day. He's there with the cosmic bull or whatever the fuck it was that they fought. Uh, it was. I mean, they fought a lot of things. They fought the um, the one that ended up killing um, uh, Enkidu. Yeah, Enkidu, the, yeah, it was. It was the bull set by sent by Ishtar. Yeah, the cosmic bull. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, God, else? there there's a there's a story we can talk about the yeah. Epic of Gilgamesh. The Epic of Gilgamesh. <laughs> Welcome back to Gilgamesh Cast, where we. Uh, <laughs> Spend every episode uh, dissecting a single line of the Epic of Gilgamesh. <laughs> Today we'll begin with In Uruk. <laughs> now, Uruk was. <laughs> okay, and let's wrap this up. No. Can we talk about that episode of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation where uh, Picard has to learn how to communicate in metaphor? Was that the one where the translator doesn't work? No, it's well, it doesn't. Okay, it does work, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work because the um, the entire culture, like it's translating what they're saying literally, but they speak only in references to mythology. But like we do that in English too. Yeah, I know. Times. That's why it's a fucking great episode. <laughs> but like. <laughs> But like, like I, I think someone was mentioning this. I don't know where I saw it. Maybe we watched the same thing and got the same idea to talk about this. But like, no, someone, I just love that episode. I'll, I'll talk about it for any reason whatsoever. But like, and you brought up Gilgamesh. But like, what if someone were to reference, like, through the Universal Translator, talk about the city of Dublin? Would yeah. it translate someone as the Blackpool? Like, would it say the name? Because that, because cities 
oftentimes they mean original things. So, like, when we speak, we're talking about things that sometimes even we've forgotten what the original yeah. meaning is. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I feel like a universal translator would try to get the context of that. But if you're saying, like, again, they, they're speaking entirely in reference. And so it's like they're talking about, oh this the name of this hero did this at this place and without the context of the mythology that's meaningless mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so like that's what the entire like episode's about how do you like order food i don't know in a in a society where something like that is like uh <laughs> <laughs> uh like uh, Dar- darmok his stomach empty <laughs> <laughs> the calf Fed upon the wheat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And fries, please. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, that's a fucking great episode. Darmok is the, like, I think that's the name of the episode. That's, like, one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever. And I'll just talk about it forever because it's just, ah, love it. You know, you at least has no idea what I'm talking about, do you? I mean, I haven't seen the episode, but I know what you're talking about. At least. Oh, my God, you should watch it. Do you at least know what I'm talking about? Okay, so there's an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> did you already explain it, though? No, well, not really. <laughs> I kind of did. So the, the entire the entire thing is they run into this new civilization, because, you know, that's what Star Trek's all about. Um, and they start talking to them, and they're like, this is translating as gibberish. Like, this makes no sense. Like, it's going through the translator, but, like, what's coming through the translator is things like Darmok, Anjalad, Atanagra. I was like, What? <laughs> What? And they're like, Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. Um, and so what eventually ends up happening is that they start getting frustrated that they can't communicate. So they kidnap Picard and they send Picard down to this planet where for whatever reason, the Enterprise can't beam him back up. And the alien captain goes down there too. And they're stuck together until they like learn to communicate. They have to like work together. And eventually Picard figures out that, oh, you're making a reference to a story. Darmok and Jalad are the heroes of the care of this story. Tanagra was a place where they fought together and became allies. Like that's what you're saying is you mm. want to become friends. So 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 Gilgamesh and Enkidu at Uruk. At, at yeah. Uruk, yeah. <laughs> and so like Picard being Picard is like, oh, I know Earth mythology, the story of Gilgamesh. And so he starts <laughs> talking back in the story of Gilgamesh. It's fucking great. It's one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever. Um, well, I'll have to watch it then. It's really good. I, I def- definitely recommend checking that one out, especially if you're interested in mythology and like storytelling and the role that storytelling plays in society. Cause that's kind of what the episode's about. Um, it's really cool. Just check it out. Cool. Uh, I've also been, I finally have gotten around to playing, uh, um, Techno Babylon, Techno Babylon. I've played, I've, I have been playing that, oh, but cool. I've also been playing, um, uh, Deus Ex: Human Revolution. Uh, two cyberpunky games. Two cyberpunky games. Uh, Deus Ex is one of my favorite series, and like when Human Revolution came out, I was super excited, and then all of the shit dropped about how you could like buy level ups by paying like Ooh. actual money and like, Ooh. which is especially dumb because it's it's single player. I, it's single player, <laughs> or I think there is a multiplayer component, but. It's mostly single player. Like, why would you do that? But I've been playing it, and the story is actually like really good, and it's a nice continuation. Um, but yeah, really, really, really good. Like Cyberpunk, it looks pretty. It looks it's an amazing looking game. Um, 
it kind of ignores the previous game in some ways because the previous game is like, oh yeah, you get to choose one of three endings, just like the original Deus Ex. Um, but this one, it's like, uh, kind of two of those sort of happened, maybe? <laughs> uh, but basically, the important thing is that people who have... Uh, uh, who are have enhancements um people who have um you know like Augment. augmentation thank you that was trying, yeah are are like second class citizens now because uh a whole bunch of augmented people kind of went crazy one day and just started <laughs> killing everybody and so now like they're second class citizens they're like living in ghettos Wait, and... so where do you draw the line from someone who needs a prosthetic cuz they lost their arm and someone who decides to just deck does, their arm out with a cool does robot does it arm? does it have like like a computer in it i think is basically <laughs> okay. and i think some of that that's actually brought up and some of it is like some of these people didn't choose this i mean the main character in the in, i didn't choose this yeah i didn't choose this have you played any of those games no, Alex? Not. um so like in the the first well not the first one but the first one in this trilogy the first one with this character mm -hmm. what happens at the beginning of the first game is the the place where he's working builds these augmentations and they get attacked by a terrorist organization and he gets horribly injured. So is he like just a augment factory worker guy? He's he is the head of security. Oh, okay. Um, so when this goes down, he's like obviously getting into the fight, and he ends up getting horribly injured in the attack. Um, and so his boss, since they're the ones that make it, is like, "Hey, we're just gonna experiment on this guy." So oh, they put in all of these like military grade. It was hardware. in your contract. If you uh, ever it get basically, I, if I'm remembering the story correctly, it pretty much is oh, like, that's not even an exaggeration, <laughs> but it's like, they save his life. And so they're just like, okay, well we're going to give you like the top of the line stuff. And now you owe us for all the money for this segment that we gave you. Not is exactly it, that. It, okay. Is it that dystopian? Or no? It's not that dystopian. Okay. The guy that he works for is actually not that much of an asshole. Okay. Um, but it is, I mean, the, if, are you from, how familiar are you with the story at all? Not a bit. Okay. All you need to understand about it is that every, especially in the first game, every, uh, Alex Jones, crazy, like, uh, conspiracy theory is true. So it's all true. So the, the world, the world is, the world is run by the Illuminati who control it in secret um, by keeping the, the people in line through doing various things, including secret alien technology that they have locked away at Area 51. Are the they frogs put, are gay. Are they, yeah, are they putting chemicals in the are water they, to make the frogs gay? They're not putting chemicals in the water to keep, make the frogs gay, but they did... Um, the, so the first... The, the, the new games are actually kind of prequels to the first game. Okay. Um, and so in the first game, the premise is... That there is a plague among people with augmentations. Like, your their bodies are starting to reject augmentations. And in order to keep from, you know, like, your body, like, massive organ failure, like, all the time, if you get any sort of augmentation, you have to buy this stuff called ambrosia. And the ambrosia is basically what's keeping everyone on the planet from dying, and it's exorbitantly expensive. And it turns oh, out, oh god! <laughs> it turns out the reason that these massive organ failure things are even happening is because, like, the the Illuminati has engineered this, 
And so, to like, get people to buy ambrosia, to get people to buy ambrosia, <sighs> so to keep the population in line, they're making everyone die if they can't afford this exorbitantly expensive uh, medicine that's only available to the elites. God, I play video games to escape. Reality. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So this one, this is a prequel, so it hasn't quite gotten to that point yet. But like, you see the people who are the major players later in the original game in like little shadowy conference rooms where it's like, oh yes, we're getting all these things set up and put in place. And it's like, oh yeah, I recognize that thing from the first game. <laughs> um, but yeah, the first game is absolutely insane and wonderful and extraordinarily difficult. I would recommend if you've never played it, uh, wait for it to be on sale on Steam. Because okay. usually when it's on sale on Steam, the original one is like $250. Um, I bought this one with the expansion and another like kind of smaller game for like 10 bucks on the most recent steam sale. Mm. Um, and they were selling like the entire pack for like 50 of all of them. I already owned all the other games, so I didn't need that one, but yeah, it was a, they're really a lot of fun. They're super hard. So if you're not really good at, uh, First-person shooters, just save scum your way through the entire uh, thing. I am not very good at first-person shooters. Just save scum. So instead of having your hand on the mouse, you should just have your uh, hand on the quick save keys. <laughs> just save all the time, and when you die, just reload immediately. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's worth it for the story, and it's worth it for the uh, incredibly bad voice acting. Oh, God. Which, for when the game first came out, was actually really good, but it, now it has not aged well. Is it Omicron level of bad voice acting? Better than that. Okay. Um, but, like, Omicron levels of graphics. Oh, good. <laughs> um, but not as glitchy. <laughs> um, and that's what I've been up to. So we've watched, we talked about movies, we talked about comics, we talked about video games. I think we've run the gamut of, like, all... TV of, shows. TV show. We haven't talked about TV shows. Um, oh, yeah, Elise finally finished Stranger Things. Elise, what did you think about Stranger Things? Um, I really liked it. I, Do you- I definitely agree with... Nick's assertion that the last scene would do better in another place in the series. I'm kind of looking forward to season three. Kind of, I, like all the other internet girls, am in love with Steve Harrington. Well, he's the best Um, father in the show. Oh my God, he's such a great father figure. Um, Lucas's father is all right, but Steve, I think, comes on time. Right? I'm trying to remember. Do we see Lucas? Yep, we do. We we meet him in the kitchen. We do. We do. What what do you do if if your if uh mom's wrong? Son, mom is never never wrong. wrong. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um. So he was great, but Steve Harrington taking the the wee babbies through the upside down, Mm -hmm. um, and just how much he throws himself into the role of the babysitter. And and protecting the kids, and I love it. Well, I actually kind of liked the um episode that everyone hated, episode seven. Um, in a weird right. way, like I definitely agree that it was not built up enough. It would have done better if it was placed in a different part of the season. It should have been its own season. Like you that know, was really yeah, my main like, problem with it. The, I, there were things about it that I liked, but it needed to be its own story instead of just something that seemed to be thrown in there. And and apparently the Duffer Brothers said that they wanted to see what would happen if they like completely radically changed the tone of the show, like how people would react. But it's like. Do that in its own, like, don't, you can't just test something like that. If you've got a story to tell, tell it. Or you could, you could. And if it's a good story, we'll go along for the ride. Yeah. And you could test it if you had more than nine episodes. But the fact that it's, it's a nine episode, it has to be very tight. Tonally, it has to be very cohesive. Like, it's very different than, like, 
something like Orange is the New Black, where they play a lot with tone, especially in the fourth season. Um, and it, it, and they do it in a really interesting way. But one, Orange is the New Black was originally billed as a comedy, even though it's not really being billed like that right now. Um, so that's like number one. And so you have more license to play with tone when you are a comedy. And then number two, I would say um, they also have more se- more episodes per season and more seasons out, which gives them a lot more time to tell the story that they want to tell, which is also a really short story, which is supposed to be just this Piper's one year in prison, uh, which is, oh, my God, just expanded for eons. But you, they you've have, talked about it. Before, yeah, yeah, I have. I've, I've mentioned that previously on the podcast. But just, you know, they they have more time and they have more license to play around with tone. Yeah. Yeah, and that in was, a way that Stranger Things doesn't. And that was really my big complaint. I wanted I, I liked those ideas and I liked them being set up, but honestly, I felt like again, the the last scene for the second season should have been the last scene for the first season, and then the first scene for the second season should have been the last scene for the second season, and that yeah. would have made a lot more sense in my mind. Um, that the way that this kind of worked out was that, you know, you set up something in the very beginning of the very first episode that really has almost no payoff because it doesn't lead to anything that overall affects the story that much. Yeah. Uh, and then you end it with the knowledge that, oh, the thing that we didn't kill is not killed. And like, yeah, I guess the fact that like it knows where they are is the implication. I didn't read that as the implication i just saw it as this thing is still a threat which was still kind of obvious since they just shut it off like i found, would have found it more interesting if oh now we've got this other thing to deal with is that there are people like l out in the world who have similar powers who are doing bad things and oh my god wouldn't that make for an interesting story like that's a much more exciting cliffhanger mm-hmm. in my mind well yeah. Anyway. Yep. Those are the things going on in the world. Um, and Alex, where can people find us on the internet? If uh, they wish people can so? find us. <clears throat> people can find us at uh, now. We, they can find us at Twitter. Actually, Yay! for the past the past two, four weeks now, almost month. We've had a Twitter. Have we done anything with that Twitter? I haven't logged uh, into it. I've retweeted a couple of things um, without any of your permission, so... That's fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure whatever you tweeted as uh, Alex is just, like, it's retweeting, all... like, white supremacists <laughs> and, like... No. And, like, like, Nambla. <laughs> it's all just... No, it's really all... It's, it's the... It's the... Uh, it's the Sean Astin fan page. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> no, but... I'm yeah. just waiting for him to be the next person, because so far, like, I've been completely justified in all of my irrational hatreds oh no but no. the people that i've disliked for Don't years wish that on Sam i'm just Wise. i'm not i'm not i'm just saying that no. now right now i'm two for three first it was no 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 so so you can find us at uh some what is it uh some nerd some no uh God, what is it? What are you talking? What are you telling? I'm trying people? to find what our Twitter is. I don't know. What it, is our Twitter? We, uh, I think it's we have a nerdcast because I have... couldn't fit some nerds of a podcast uh, into all the short little thing. So I think it's we have a nerdcast. Unify our, our social media brand. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Oh, okay, and you can find us on. Uh... 
on Facebook at Some Nerds Have a Fan Page. See, I remembered this one. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh, you can uh-huh. also email us, guys. No one emails us any except for Apple to let us know that the iPhone X is out. I've gotten like four emails <laughs> telling me that. I don't care. <laughs> um, so if you want to send us in something about how uh, – about How you how, agree, how you disagree. Yeah, agree or disagree about how uh, figures in public radio have been inappropriate with you. If you <laughs> want to talk about the Epic of Gilgamesh if with you, us, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll devote a whole episode to the Epic we of Gilgamesh and the Enuma Elish. Yo, what's, what's your favorite uh, Bronze Age civilization? Uh, tell us, call, uh, email us, uh, uh, some nerds so have an email at, at gmail.com. Gmail. That's some nerds have an email at gmail.com. Yeah. So I take it by all this uh, wrapped up talk that we're wrapping it up. I and think so we're I, wrapping it I up. I think we should go ahead and do the web Comic of the oh week. yeah, webcomic of the week. Yeah. Webcomic of the week. All right. So the webcomic of this week is a webcomic called Thistle Missile Kissle, uh, spelled uh, spelled T H T H I S T I L M I S T I L K I S T I L, and uh, Thistle Missile Kissle. M O U S E. Is a webcomic about the Viking Age. And I was thinking about this. We were talking about Thor. Okay. And uh, Thistle Missile Kissle is a fantasy adventure webcomic that follows Cole. Who is, the first thing you see about Cole is that he's dead. Uh, and That's he unfortunate. Is, he, well, he, he shows up in Valhalla because uh, he's, a, he's a Viking. He's actually a kid. He, he kind of uh, – he's like a teenager. And he shows up in Valhalla, and he is accused of stealing Thor's hammer. And he Wait. Ha- yeah. How could anyway? So go ahead. so he's accused of stealing Thor's hammer, and they find it around his neck. Like he has a little Thor, like he has a little Mjolnir, Mjolnir um, necklace. And Thor points to it and takes it back, and it's like, "This is my hammer. You have it, you thief." And uh, eventually, what, what's kind of early on? This is not really spoilers. Or what's discovered is that. Loki has been around and kind of stealing the weapons of the gods and giving them out to random people in, like, pieces. And so, like, he has a shard of Mjolnir. He has a shard of uh, Freya's uh, spear or, you know, this, that. Mm -hmm. And so he is sent back into the world of the living as a kind of an undead, undying uh, drug ear, whatever they call him. Uh, to try to find all of the things. And the first thing he has to do is find Loki and force him to help. And so it's him and Loki, and then they derp around the, you know, the uh, North North Sea area, and they run into all these other, you know, people. They they find uh, Hedda, who is a Irish slave that's, uh, that, you know, she joins them, uh, and they save her from, from being killed. They find Ibrahim, who is a uh, scholar from the Moors, uh, from from the Moorish lands down in Spain? Uh, Arn, an adopting adopted Skrelling, who lives in Iceland. Skrelling being the uh, Norse word for the uh, people living on, up in Greenland, up yeah. in Labrador. Yeah. Um, and so, all these different diverse people from kind of the fringes of the Norse society kind of gather together and they bop around in their longship with Loki trying to find all the pieces of the gods weapons. And it's really cool. Uh, it's really, there's a lot of thought and historic thought put into it as well. Like hmm. they showcase a lot of historic locations. Um, that I won't go into a lot of detail of that, but basically it's done by a person who really knows their shit okay. and uh, knows how to portray not only a 
uh, kind of a mythologized version of the Norse, but a historic version with the mythology on top of it. Hmm. And I really do appreciate it. Unfortunately, it's kind of on hiatus. The person oh. who was doing it uh, lost their job, and oh, so they, she's been trying to find uh, you know that. So that's been kind of put on hold since then. She does, however, update a kind of a side story that she did in the same setting about Loki and his wife. Uh, and so... What about Jesus, like, trying to set up shop there? Uh, no, this is kind of before that. No, but... It's, I, I don't, that's what Like, my... this is set in a time and place. It's like eight... Eight like eight hundred or something like like that's so we, so it's around the same time as uh oh god what, oh, no nine hundred something yeah that would that would be around the time of the conversion in Norway well but the, but like the the interesting thing about it and and one of the reasons why I I brought that up is because like that's kind of what happened is basically I mean that's what Ragnarok is yeah that's what Ragnarok is it's it's the the old faith being lost and and this new one replacing it yeah. But uh, that hasn't really come up at all. Uh, there are, of course, you know, other people of other faiths, as mentioned. And Hedda, you know, as I said, she's she's an Irish, she's Catholic. Yeah. Um. And uh, and Ibrahim is you know is Moorish. He's is is uh, Islamic. But the fact still remains that uh, they're there. And I think Loki kind of mentions that it's like we we're not we have no power over them really because they don't believe in us or mm-hmm. something like that. And, and it's kind of an interesting. They, they hint at it, but they don't actually go into detail about the other religion and the other gods being real. It's just the Norse that they're focusing on. Huh. Yeah. You had something to say, though. Oh, yeah. no, it just it made me think of one of my um, favorite artifacts that I've ever seen from, like, that time period is a mold mm-hmm. for making jewelry. And on one side of the mold, it is pendants for Mjolnir, because, yeah, people wore, like, like people wear crosses and people wear like stars of David and all those sorts of things. Like the, like the religious symbol, they would have like a, a hammer of Thor Mjolnir. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of the mold is a crucifix. Mm-hmm. So it's like from that time period. So yeah. that's kind of why I brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. But like the, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the city. He- Heberty, I think it's called, it's called Heberty is a, was a major trading town in Southern Denmark that they go to. Yeah. And it like, there's a very appropriate cutoff where this story cannot take place after this point because it gets burnt to the ground and never, you know, <laughs> yeah. comes back again. So huh. yeah, it's, it's a very interesting story. Um, nice. So yeah. So that's the webcomic of the week. Uh, is there anything else? Uh, let's do one more plug for Facebook. Uh, we're on Facebook at some nerds have a fan page. We're on Twitter at we have a fan. We have a nerd. Uh, we have a nerd cast. We have a nerd cast at Twitter. Uh, and Gmail. Some nerds have an email at gmail dot com. Uh, so write a, write us in. Tweet at us. Get people to listen to the program because right now hardly anyone is uh oh that's not true i mean a few people are we, we actually this last uh, episode had more listeners than the one before it oh really yeah okay. like like we had uh, last i checked like 12 people listened to this Woo. last one and we only had like nine to the one before that all right well On that m- note. moving up in the world as i knock over my glass um yep. i think this is a good place to cut us off. all right so, so i'm alex i'm nick and i'm elise and this is some nerds have a podcast see you in two weeks everybody Thanks for listening.